Um. Uh, Bob, Bob. Are you doing the intro? We're recording. Bilbo? Tombo? Bob, Bob. Where are you? The show started. This is ridiculous. We said we were doing the Halloween show today. What? Oh, what's this? A letter written in green crayon. The calling sign of the silly history boys. Dear Pear Bear, it's Halloween. We know it's your favourite time of year as we gallivant off to do real acting jobs like the 100% successful and in-demand actors we are whilst you toil away doing your boring normal job for that faceless multinational corporation you love so much. Seeing as we're away, you will have to do the episode this week. Yeah. Cheers, lads. Oh, there's more. We've recorded some lines from the scripts we've been doing at Spooky Places. Enjoy. And whilst we're not actually doing that show anywhere this week, Tombo is being spooky at Walkworth Castle, and Bob Bob is making people fill their underpants twice nightly at Bolsover Castle. Oh, right. Well, where's Bilbo? Oh, Bilbo's gone on holiday, FYI. Oh, classy, Bilbo. Classy move. Uh, now stop reading this letter and edit the show. Yours, Silly Silly, Tombo, Bilbo, and your dear Uncle Bob Bob. Oh, great. Oh, there's a postscript. P.S. You're not in our script because you're mean and you swear at us when we put up tents or gazebos, so just do a spooky thing by yourself. See you later. Bye! Mm, I only swear at them, dear listener, when they're being useless! But that's by the by. That is by the by. Uh, they've recorded something. Right, give me a couple of seconds, listener, while I just, you know, whip this together. And then, then we can enjoy it together. Hang on. Hush cut. Now. Blam. Done. I mean, that only took, that only took eight hours. So, let's see how we're going. And tape click. Ratted stake launcher. We're at the monster hunting symposium, for heaven's sake. It should be the first thing stowed on the carriage. And what is taking Fermont so long? <coughs> oh, hello, listener. You're early. Are you early? You feel early. I wish I was late, mate. Come with it. Yes, quite. I'm afraid you find me somewhat in disarray. You see... Oh, where are my manners? My name is William Fiddler, one half of Fermont and Fiddler, monster meddlers. What's that when it's... Oh, that sounds weird, whatever it is. No, <laughs> no, no, don't let the name fool you. We are not the monsters, but those who meddle with the aforementioned monsters. Uh, but not in a funny way, as you just made it sound. Oh, drat it all. I told Fermont. I told him that it was a confusing name. And we should have stuck with the Battyfang Creature Crew. Yeah, because that's not problematic at all. What's Battyfang anyway? Some sort of 70s jazz psychedelia nonsense? Yeah, what's Fatty Bang? Well, Battyfang is an oldie time fun word meaning to thrash thoroughly. Yikes, and I think I prefer the 70s psychedelia nonsense, please. Ah. Um, if I may... For we, Fermont and Fiddler, seek out monsters, mayhem, creatures of the night, and get all batty fang on their derrieres. That is to say, we give them a darn good thrashing. For money, of course. 
growth industry, this monster hunting lark. It's monster meddling. I've told you before, old chap. Right, check out this chap. Hey, what's wrong with him? Look at his face. Oh, Fermont. Folks, this is Thomas Fermont, my better half in the cut and thrust world of creature head relocation. Monster meddling. And hello, good people of... Where am I again? I assume you're here for our symposium on how to meddle monsters. Well, don't just hang in the wings looking all sinister, Fermont. But it's so comfy here, like being back in the tomb. Womb, womb, I meant womb. You look more pale and interesting than usual, me old chuckaboo. And what's that? Sunglasses? Inside? Wow, man, looks like I'm going to be 70s psychedelic nonsense after all. Groovy, baby. Stop being silly, Fermont. No, 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 I'm fine. You see, I was down by the beck performing my pre-Ted talk ablutions, and wouldn't you know it, I suddenly and rather violently came over all sleepy. I had to lie down. I couldn't get away from the beck quick enough, and in my befuddlement I lost all track of time, old boy. Stop right there. Befuddlement? Are you ill? Is it is it norovirus? Or, or that weird thing you got from that time you refused not to eat the carriage-warm scotch eggs? No. Are you running a fever experience like a Nospia? Bunking with William Fiddler here year-round, I long to lose my sense of smell. But no and no. But still. Ow. Why is he rubbing his neck? Yeah, yeah, Samphire. Don't look at the neck. <gasps> oh, aches and pains. I knew it. I knew it. It's making a comeback, you know. I feared this would happen. You didn't stay alert, mate. No one is more alert than Furmont and Fiddler, monster meddlers, and it's just a crick in the neck from down the back. Oh, right. Okay. Seems legit. Help me. You see, I can't find that part for the stake launcher. The bit that goes boy, oi, 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 and... What are you doing? Mm, well, this is awkward. <laughs> My legs don't seem to be working. I'm not surprised with those gas pipes you're obsessed with. My trousers are not too tight. Yeah, they are, mate. So that was more terrifying the thought of him meddling monsters or you in those tan jeggings. Kudos on the burn, my good man, but we really must be getting on. Did you hear me, Fermont? William, old chap, I have this strong urge. An urge for permission. Fine, the trousers can stay. Happy now? No, no, I'm not happy. I have the urge to ask for permission to enter your space. Uh-oh. Odd. Fermont's never needed inviting in before. If anything, he's never on the guest list and always overstays his welcome. Ah, uh, red flag. It's gonna get sucked. Saints alive! Would you just invite me in? If it means so much to you, fine. You may enter the space. Ah, that's better. Are you sure you're well? Ah, yes. A fit as a fiddle, Mr. Fiddler. Would someone who is not well make such a normal request to enter someone's space? Your logic is sound, though you do look very pale. Those trousers are doing nothing for your circulation of blood. Mmm, blood. What? Uh, um, I mean, hmm, good. You're probably right about the trousers. We'll talk about this over supper, Thomas. Let's begin. I think I might pop off and find a church. Too late. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages. You are all looking especially tasty today. Welcome to 
How to stake fiends and influence people. The how-to of monster meddling. That's right, friends. Today we will instruct you on how to bring down everything from werewolves... Daddy mats, Zombies... Blinded slobs... And of course, the eternal walkers of the night, vampires. A much maligned and misunderstood sect of society. Great fun at parties, though. All back to your place, sir, for a knees-up, yes? I will need verbal permission to enter your house, of course. Well, I'd have to check up with a wife. Oh, bite one, get one free. <laughs> Thomas! Let's crack on, William. It appears I have a hard date. Sir, I can only apologize for Thomas. He's never usually this salaciously charged. It must be your aftershave. Where were we? Oh, yes. Werewolves. The slobbering carpet lickers of the night. Sir, do you have a problem with your chickens being slaughtered? Every full moon. Ah, uh, wife's checks, truth be told. I've been thinking about going veggie, actually. Can't get any sleep because of all that confounded howling. Yeah, her again, if I'm honest. Then you, sir, have a werewolf problem. Fiddler, dear boy. I have a problem with some dirty, scarfy werewolves. By day, they're mild-mannered neighbours, but by night, they're prowling beasts with no decorum. I thought you looked familiar. Stop moving my bins! Rather than move house, I think it would be cheaper to kill them. That's a bit drastic, Thomas. In the spirit of being a good neighbour, why not help them? In medieval Europe, there were three methods one can use to cure a victim of lycanthropy. I I'll tolerate thrash. But don't you start with black metal. He means being a werewolf. Ah, uh, yeah. Yes, three methods. Medicinally. Usually via the use of the plant wolfsbane. It's a great plant. It always works. Sometimes works. Never works. So that takes us on to exorcism. You draw the beast out of the body. Repeat after me. Draw the beast out of the body. Draw the beast out of the body. More. Draw the beast out of the body. Draw the beast out of the body. Louder. Draw the beast out of the body. Good. We also sell incantations, and you, sir, owe us five pounds. And when exorcism does not work, we have surgery. Cut the wolf out of the body. However, many of these practices performed on the patients in these pastimes left them somewhat mm, perished. So that still leaves us leaning towards the killing. Well, for that, you need a firearm, if you'd be so kind. Hmm? In the trunk, Vermont. Nice piece, Fiddler. Is it loaded? No, Vermont. We will need a silver bullet. We will need a silver bullet. I can't seem to find it, old chap. It's right there in front of you. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, it's just a simple case of picking it up, then. Does putting on my special silver bullet handling gloves, <laughs> like I always do. <gasps> I see what's going on here. Finally... He's always been a metal snob, folks. Thrash or flat? Shut up! I mean, <clears throat> I mean, Fermont won't touch anything that isn't gold. He's a gaudy nightmare. Anyway, interestingly enough, the idea of werewolves being vulnerable to silver is a relatively new thing. This vulnerability does not appear in stories about werewolves before the 19th century. It's not as interesting as you think it is, mate. All right then, sir, you asked for it. 
Do you have a family member that is worryingly hairy? Well, I, I did have to start hiding my Gillette Proglide from her. Knew it. Does it howl at the moon? Ah, uh, yeah. a few jars, baby. Does it drag its bottom along the carpet at home? She, she said she was doing yoga with Adrienne. Ah, Vermont, we have a werewolf. Okie dokie. OMG, Vermont, what are you doing? Do you even have a license for that? Put it away. My apologies, sir. I suppose if this were a real scenario, your werewolf problem would have been solved. Yeah, I'm off to front row, mate. <laughs> Moving on to the next monster. <clears throat> Are you tired of the lifeless undead roaming the country and refusing to die? Is the Tory party conference still on? No, zombies. Ha <laughs> yes, of course. Now, the ancient Greeks may have been the first to harbor a fear of the undead. Archaeologists have unearthed many an ancient grave that contains skeletons pinned down by rocks and other heavy objects. I assume to prevent the dead bodies from reanimating. Useful thing, zombies. If only one could get a zombie to do their bidding, like doing the washing up or turning down the coffin. Uh, zombie capture is not really what we do, Thomas. But I suppose if one really yearns to capture zombie, I suppose we could pivot and make that happen. We usually just remove the head or damage the brain. Not today. Good sir, in the front row, yes, you. For our little crypt flicks and chill soiree later, would your life not be improved by having a butler? Albeit a rotting corpse of a butler, bringing us our steaming hot glasses of red wine. Don't answer that. The answer is yes. Okay, let's make this happen. Thomas here will be our zombie, and I will chain him up. These chains look new. They're not silver, are they? That little bit is okay, but I, I bulk at pure, undiluted silver. Oh, come now, Thomas. Precious metal a poor chain would make. They're steel. Excellent. Chain away. Once you have tracked and captured your zombie, you can chain and paddle him. Fortunately for us, they're not your frenetic Hollywood zombies, but the lumbering, slow-paced zombie of our reality. And voila. A zombie butler. Oh, yes. Nice and tight. But I can still carry a tray. Bottoms up. And there we go, sir. One zombie butler for you. But what if I have guests at my soiree? What? I don't want them chundering their cheese on sticks and blue nun at the sight of this rotting monstrosity. Um, right, okay. Well, um, ooh. Every Fermont and Fiddler zombie capture now comes with a free modesty sheet. There we go. Gross zombie covered and bung it in the cupboard or something. I'll take four. Now, please do not try this at home, folks. But if you must, promise you'll use steel. With these chains being steel, they would not be right and proper for holding other nocturnal fiends, like a werewolf, for example. But a human or a zombie, then yes, sure. Contrary to some reports, we have yet to slay a zombie with superhuman strength. But so strong are these chains that it would take something as cunning and as disgusting as a vampire to... Oh. I'm free! What do I win? Uh, I must have missed a crucial lock somewhere, folks. But I assure you that no zombie would ever be getting out of these. I'm sure I covered every lock. Thomas, how did you... Well, what about the killing of zombies? As you say, we don't specialize in zombie capture. But that man's soiree... Remove the head or damage the brain, yes? Yes. Fine, yes, um, fine. Uh, I will play the zombie, and Fermont will be the zombie hunter. Our preferred method is swords. 
Fermont will use this basket-hilted rapier made out of steel. Our only little extra touch in the grip is a bit of pure, undiluted silver. What? And now, just to place it in your unglot hand... Right, on guard, Fermont. I am coming for you, Fermont. What are you doing? Fermont, what are you doing? Fermont, on guard! On guard, stop ruining this for me! Yeah! Sorry. <laughs> Bit of cramp. Ow. Just stand over there, Vermont. My apologies, folks. My partner has taken somewhat ill. So we will push on to the main attraction, folks. Welcome to Steak School. The best way we know how to kill a vampire is a stake through their cold black heart. Not in my heart. So, what? Is what those horrible vampires would say. Uh, now, Vermont will stand still, and I will show you where to place the stake for maximum ramage. <laughs> for maximum ramage. <gasps> what is wrong with you? Come here. Back on the sauce. No, I don't like splinters. Fine, fine. Get the beads. Ah, yes, well. I will wear the special gloves again. Not those beads. The holy beads. <clears throat> now, this next weapon is a Hail Mary play, <laughs> if you'll excuse the inside joke. Now, you can use the vampire's greatest weakness against them, their self-obsession. Imagine if you will. Oh, let's just choose a random scenario. Perhaps they are glamouring a poor man and his hairy wife into some good old-fashioned lifelong regret. As it's monologuing, you can creep up on them and wrap the beads tightly around their cruel neck and... <laughs> Got you. What are you doing? Got my throat. Got my throat. <sighs> oh, I need some water. I think I will need some, too. It's getting quite hot in here. Has someone opened the curtains? It's bright, though, isn't it? Isn't it very bright? <laughs> Anyone else feel like it's a bit too bright here for October? Maybe I, I, I'll have a drink after you, old bean. I'm suddenly rather parched. It's like a, an unquenchable thirst has taken me. Well, this, <clears throat> this brings us on to our next weapon. <clears throat> the very useful holy water. <laughs> Be gone, foul libation. Don't waste it. Oh, it's expensive. You know we don't know any local priests. My apologies, William. You know how I get with this hard northern water. You wouldn't happen to have any Brita filter water, would you? For heaven's sake, you can have fancy water tonight at the restaurant. Oh, you booked Cosa Nosferatu, did you? What? It's called Cosa Nostra. You were drawn in by the TripAdvisor review titled Garlic Heaven. Nah, I'm okay for garlic, thanks. Gone right off it. <laughs> no cheesy garlic bread for me. But cheesy garlic bread is what you live for. It, it's like your life motto. You've always said, if I can't have cheesy garlic bread, I may as well be dead. Oh my god, you're a vampire. <laughs> Why were there absolutely no signs? Stand back, everyone. You're about to see a real-life staking in action. Wait, Fiddler. First, look into my eyes. Oh, Fermont, you know I'm really good at memory games. I'm sure they're blue. Now I have you in my power. Yes. All back to this man's house for white vine and nibbles with his wife. Yeah, still under side effects. What about now?
cheese turnovers and echo falls for all. Now, bow to the audience, William. Good boy. Now go wait for me in the car and baste yourself in that fancy barbecue sauce fundament, will you? That is our monster hunting show, my good fellows. Now, all of you go wait in the car. I have a reservation to get to. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, that was that. Pretty spooky stuff, but also very educational. I now know how to deal with werewolves, zombies and vampires, as do you, dear listener, so that's nice. And whilst they were rabbiting on, I've been deciding what I'm going to do for my Halloween bit, and I'm going to read a poem. Yes, that's right. That's right, dear listener, I'm going to read you a poem. It's a poem by Richard Harris Barham, or Barham. I don't know. I don't know the chap, so I don't know how he likes his surname to be pronounced. And it comes from a collection of things called the Ingoldsby Legends, or at least that's what the website I am reading this poem off tells me. So if that's wrong, tell them, don't tell me. Um, anyway, um, it's called The Hand of Glory, The Nurse's Story. And uh, I, I'm not going to lie to you, listener, I have read it before. It was recommended to me by a chap called Dr. Chris Tuckley, a lovely man who knows his stuff. So I read it on a spooky night in a spooky house to some people. It was a great job. Uh, and it's a great poem. Uh, but The Hand of Glory, I feel, maybe needs a little bit of context just for you, dear listener. The Hand of Glory, or a Hand of Glory, is um, is kind of a mythical burglar's tool. It was said, basically, it's made out of the severed hand of a hanged man, and you put a candle on top of it, and then the light will shine for you, but it won't shine for anyone else. So it's kind of a, a much sought-after, like, burglary tool. Um, but to make one, there's actually detailed, there's detailed records on how to make one. So what you've got to do, first of all, is get yourself a hanged criminal still dangling from the gallows. So you can see where this story's going. It's very Halloween. It's like the start of a Hammer horror movie. There's a reference for the kids there. Um, but uh, to make yourself a hand of glory... It goes like this. It must be cut from the body of a criminal on the gibbet. That's the upside-down L-shaped bit. It's the bit that the body's dangling from the gallows. Pickled in salt and the urine of man, woman, dog, horse and mare. Yeah. Then it must be smoked with herbs and hay for a month and hung on an oak tree for three nights running. That's three nights in a row. Then laid at a crossroads. Then hung on a church door for one night while the maker keeps watch in the porch. And if it be that no fear hath driven you forth from the porch, then the hand be true one and it be yours. So think of the hand of glory as like Thing from the Adams family, if you know what I mean, the upside down hand that runs around. But this one just has a candle on it. Supposedly you should make the candle out of the fat of the body as well. But that's disgusting and is too strong for children, so I'm not going to say that, even though I just did. Uh, right, now, the hand of glory, the nurse's story. Let's go, let's do it. <clears throat> Cue the spooky music. There we go. Nice. Smooth. 
on the lone bleak moor at the midnight hour beneath the gallows tree. Hand in hand, the murderers stand by one, by two, by three. And the moon that night with a grey, cold light each baleful object tips. One half of her form is seen through the storm, the other half's hid in eclipse. And the cold wind howls, and the thunder growls, and the lightning is broad and bright. And altogether it's very bad weather, and an unpleasant sort of night. Now mount who list, and close by the wrist, sever me quickly the dead man's fist. Now climb who dare, where he swings in air, and pluck me five locks of the dead man's hair. There's an old woman dwells upon Tappington Moor. She hath years on her back, at the least four score, and some people fancy a great many more. Her nose, it is hooked. Her back, it is crooked, her eyes blear and red. On the top of her head is a much, and on that, a shocking bad hat. Extinguisher shaped, the brim narrow and flat. Then, my gracious, her beard, it would sadly perplex a spectator at first to distinguish her sex. Nor, I'll venture to say, without scrutiny could be, pronounce her off-handed a punch or a duty. Did you see her in short, that mud hovel within, with her knees to her nose and her nose to her chin, leering up with that queer, indescribable grin? You'd lift up your hands in amazement and cry, Well, I never did see such a regular guy. And now before that old woman's door, where naught that's good may be, hand in hand the murderers stand, by one, by two, by three. Oh, tis a horrible sight to view, in that horrible hovel, that horrible crew, by the pale blue glare of that flickering flame, doing the deed that hath never a name. Tis awful to hear those words of fear, the prayer muttered backwards and said with a sneer. Matthew Hopkins himself has assured us that when a witch says her prayers, she begins with Amen. Tis awful to see on that old woman's knee the dead shriveled hand as she clasps it with glee. And now with care the five locks of hair from the skull of the gentleman dangling up there with the grease and the fat of the black tom cat she hastens to mix and to twist into wicks and one on the thumb and each finger to fix for another receipt the same charm to prepare consult Mr Ainsworth and Petty Albert. I'm going to guess that's a joke from the time, because I don't get it. <clears throat> anyway. Now open lock to the dead man's knock. Fly bolt and bar and band. Nor move nor swerve, joint muscle or nerve, at the spell of the dead man's hand. Sleep all who sleep. Wake all who wake. But be as the dead for the dead man's sake. All is silent. All is still save the ceaseless moan of the bubbling rill as it wells from the bosom of Tappington Hill. And in Tappington Hall, great and small, gentle and simple, squire and groom, each one hath sought his separate room, and sleep her dark mantle hath o'er them cast, for the midnight hour hath long been past. All is darksome in earth and sky, save from yon casement, narrow and high, a quivering beam on the tiny stream plays like some taper's fitful gleam by one that is watching wearily. 
Within that casement, narrow and high, in his secret lair where none may spy, sits one whose brow is wrinkled with care, and the thin grey locks of his falling hair have left his little bald pate all bare. For his full-bottomed wig hangs bushy and big on the top of his old-fashioned high-backed chair. Unbraced are his clothes, ungartered his hose. His gown is bedizened with tulip and rose. Flowers of remarkable size and hue, flowers such as Eden never knew. And there, by many a sparkling heap of the good red gold, the tale is told what powerful spells avail to keep that careworn man from his needful sleep. Happily he deems no eye can see as he gloats on his treasure greedily. The shining store of glittering ore, the fair rose noble, the bright moidor, and the broad double joe from beyond the sea. But there's one that watches as well as he. For wakeful and sly, in a closet hard by, on his truckle bed lieth a little foot page, a boy who's uncommonly sharp of his age, like young Master Horner, who erst in a corner sat eating a Christmas pie. And while that old gentleman's counting his hoards, little Hugh peeps through a crack in the boards. There's a voice in the air. There's a step on the stair. The old man starts in his cane-backed chair. At the first faint sound, he gazes around and holds up his dip of sixteen to the pound. Then half arose from beside his toes, his little pug dog with his little pug nose. But ere he can vent one inquisitive sniff, that little pug dog stands stark and stiff. For lo, yet clear, now fall on the ear, where once pronounced forever they dwell, the unholy words of the dead man's spell. Open lock to the dead man's knock, fly, bolt, and bar, and band, nor move, nor swerve, joint muscle or nerve at the spell of the dead man's hand. Sleep all who sleep, wake all who wake, but be as the dead for the dead man's sake. Now lock, nor bolt, nor bar avails, nor stout oak panel thick studded with nails. Heavy and harsh the hinges creak, though they had been oiled in the course of the week. The door opens wide, as wide may be, and there they stand, that murderous band, lit by the light of the glorious hand, by one, by two, by three. They have passed through the porch, they have passed through the hall, where the porter sat snoring against the wall. The very snore froze in his very snub nose. You'd have verily deemed he had snored his last when the glorious hand by the side of him passed. In the little wee mouse as it ran o'er the mat, at the top of its speed to escape from the cat, though half dead with a fright, paused in its flight. And the cat that was chasing that little wee thing lay crouched as a statue in act to spring. And now they are there, on the head of the stair, and the long crooked whittle is gleaming and bare. I really don't think any money would bribe me the horrible scene that ensued to describe. For the wild, wild glare of the old man's eye, his dumb despair and deep agony, the kid from the pen and the lamb from the fold, unmoved may the blade of the butcher behold. They dream not, <laughs> happier they, that the knife, though uplifted, can menace their innocent life. It falls. The frail thread of their being is riven. They dread not, suspect not, 
the blow till tis given. But oh, what a thing tis to see and to know that the bare knife is raised in the hand of the foe without hope to repel or to ward off the blow. Enough! Let's pass over as fast as we can the fate of that grey, that unhappy old man. But fancy poor Hugh, aghast at the view, powerless alike to speak or to do. In vain doth he try to open the eye that is shut or close that which is clapped to the chink, though he'd give all the world to be able to wink. No, for all that this world can give or refuse, I would not be now in that little boy's shoes, or indeed any garment at all that is Hugh's. Tis lucky for him that the chink in the wall he has peeped through so long is so narrow and small. Wailing voices, sounds of woe, such as follow departing friends, that fatal night round Tappington go, its long-drawn roofs and its gable ends, ethereal spirits gentle and good, I weep and lament o'er a deed of blood. Tis early dawn, the morn is grey, and the clouds and the tempest have passed away, and all things betoken a very fine day. But while the lark her carol is singing, shrieks and screams are through Tappington ringing, upstarting all, great and small, each one who's found within Tappington Hall, gentle and simple, squire or groom, all seek at once that old gentleman's room, and there on the floor, Drenched in its gore, a ghastly corpse lies exposed to the view. Carotted and jugular both cut through. And there, by its side, mid the crimson tide, kneels a little foot-page of tenderest years. Adown his pale cheek, the fast-falling tears are coursing each other round and big, and he's staunching the blood with a full-bottomed wig. Alas and alack, for his staunching tis plain, as anatomists tell us that never again shall life revisit the foully slain when once they've been cut through the jugular vein. There's a hue and cry through the county of Kent, and in chase of the cutthroats a constable's sent, but no one can tell the man which way they went. There's a little foot page with that constable goes, and a little pug dog with a little pug nose. In Rochester town, at the sign of the crown, three shabby genteel men are just sitting down to a fat stubble goose with potatoes done brown when a little footpage rushes in in a rage, upsetting the applesauce, onions and sage. That little footpage takes the first by the throat and a little pug dog takes the next by the coat and a constable seizes the one more remote and fair rose nobles and broad moidores, the waiter pulls out of their pockets by scores, and the boots and the chambermaids run in and stare, and the constable says with a dignified air, you're wanted, gentlemen, one and all, for that ear precious lark at Tappington Hall. There's a black gibbet frowns upon Tappington Moor, where a former black gibbet has frowned before. It is as black as black may be, and murderers there are dangling in air by one, by two, by three. There's a horrid old hag 
in a steeple-crowned hat. Round her neck they have tied to a hempen cravat, a dead man's hand and a dead tom cat. They have tied up her thumbs, they have tied up her toes, they have tied up her eyes, they have tied up her limbs. Into Tappington Mill down south she goes, with a whoop and a halloo, she swims, she swims. They have dragged her to land, and everyone's hand is grasping a faggot, a billet or brand. When a queer-looking horseman, dressed all in black, snatches up that old harridan just like a sack. To the crupper behind him puts spurs to his hack, makes a dash through the crowd and is off in a crack. No one can tell, though they guess pretty well which way that grim rider and old woman did go. For all see he's sort of infernal Duke Crow, and she screamed so and cried, we may fairly decide that the old woman did not much relish her ride. The moral. The truest of stories confirms beyond doubt that truest of adages, murder will out. In vain may the blood spiller double and fly. In vain even witchcraft and sorcery try. Although for a time he may scape by and by, he'll be sure to be caught by a hue and a cry. Now that's the end of that poem. It was a lot longer than I remembered it being, boys and girls, dear listener. Well, well, there we are. Wasn't that spooky? Ooh. So basically, um, they went to the witch and they got a hand of glory so that they could sneak into a posh house, murder an old man, steal all his jewels, but then the page boy saw them and then they went to the pub and they got caught in the pub and the page boy went, that's them, officer, and then a little dog with a little nose, it was a pug, uh, also identified them and then they were hanged and then the old woman was taken to hell, by the sounds of it, by a spooky horseman. So there we are! Halloween! We'll see you in a couple of weeks! See you later, bye! Episode 79 of the Silly History Boys show, or Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, because that's what Halloween 3, the movie released in 1982, was called, uh, was written, presented, and given unto you this week by the Silly History Boys. The part of William Fiddler was played by Will Uncle Bilbo Tristram. The part of Tom Fermont was played by Tom Tombo Fermor. And the parts of audience members heckling were played by your dear Uncle Bob Bob. And your host for this week was me, Stu the Pear Bear Perry. Hello everyone. I also read a poem. You might remember that from uh, 44 seconds ago when I finished reading it. Um, so, um, it's Halloween. That's why we've done this episode, because they're all away being real, you know, real actors, and I'm here by myself working for a nameless corporation. Um, but you should go and check them out. If you are out and about in the UK, you can find Tombo at Walkworth Castle. He's doing spooky stories there. And you can find Bob Bob at Volsover Castle in the Midlands. He's there doing spooky stories. And 
And like we said earlier, Bilbo's gone on holiday, so he's having a nice time. Um, you can also, if you're in the city of Warwick, you could go and check out our good friend Simon's Weird Walk of Warwick by Dark Warwick. Go and check it out. It's brand new. I think it might be Warwick's first ever ghost walk. Or at least that's how Simon's marketing it. Probably fraudulently wouldn't put it past him. He's a he's a marketing genius. An evil genius, that's what he is. Oh, I should do some thanks, shouldn't I? Thanks to Big Scotty Buckley for all of the spooky music this week. Oh, apart from Zap Splat for their spooky music too. And of course, massive thanks to Zap Splat as ever for all the zip zaps and boings. Big thanks as always to Lord Fastfingers Tristram for the intro music. And a big thanks to you, listener, for listening to this show. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks. We'll be back, hopefully all being well with the first part of Richard the Lionheart. But until then, see you later, bye!